there are fish, there are waters, and they should be our decisions. Our ancestors looked after these territorial waters for hundreds and hundreds of years. So going forward, we should definitely be having a say. You're listening to the Tree Talk Podcast. Today's episode is about the fish common table with the most updated information as of November 2021. Stay informed and updated with this podcast as we continue to push the government into negotiating a treaty that is optimal for our community to sign off on. Okay, hi everybody. It's great to be back with you on another podcast. Uh, today we are joined by We Become Elected Chief Chris Roberts and Quika Chief Stephen Dick, as well as Bram Robachevsky, Chief Negotiator for the Liquita Treaty Society, and myself, Ronnie Shikite. Uh, today we're going to discuss the fish common table that the three Liquito nations attend, along with other Atlagay members. Uh, Chris and Stephen, would you like to? Do some opening comments. Maybe I'll start with Chris. Sure, yeah. Hi, good morning, Ronnie. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm uh, very happy to be here today to discuss the, the fisheries common table, uh, the reconciliation negotiations, as we call it. Uh, it's of uh, high interest to all three of our nations, and I think it's a really important topic. I'm pleased uh, that all of our nations are at a position in treaty negotiations to help advance uh, the request for a mandate of this from the federal government. We've seen success in other regions on the coast, nations in Haida, uh, receiving an actual sizable mandate for uh, a reconciliation in, in fisheries needs. So we know that for years in treaty negotiations, the mandate that the federal government has had with respect to fisheries has been, well, it's been insulting. It's been so far away from where we would need to be that um, essentially would be a deal breaker. So to have a table that's committed to by the federal government to talk about what it would take to achieve our rightful position in fisheries and our territories is, is a really big deal. So thank you very much. All right, thanks, Chris. Uh, Stephen, I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, thanks, Ronnie, and thanks for inviting us to, to this podcast today. Also happy to be here. And uh, while negotiations on fisheries are still ongoing, I look forward to sharing with our communities the approach we are taking to ensure that not only do we have opportunities in, in the future within the industry, but that we also establish ourselves in decision-making. So it's, it's, it's going to be an exciting time in the next little while when it comes to fishery, and I look forward to, to having those discussions and looking forward to the outcomes. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Chiefs. Um, maybe I'll swing the mic over to Bram for a, maybe he has some opening comments that he would like to say as well. Thanks, Chief Ronnie. Good morning, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here with uh, with the three chiefs talking about this uh, really important uh, negotiations. Um, and I think, you know, it created a, a bit of a unique opportunity to, to pursue this negotiation collectively. And it was, it was a, a function, I think, of a few things. One, the success that the nations have had working together as part of Atlagay. And we know that Atlagay is a model um, around the province and, and indeed across the country 
for what's possible when when communities come together on issues of fisheries governance and access to, to fisheries resources. And it made some sense to use Atlagay as the foundation to move forward and beyond from a reconciliation perspective. It also made some sense given, as, as Chief Chris has already said, um, really the, the, the weak mandates that we, that we could have expected pursuing fisheries negotiations individually at, at, at the treaty tables. And we know that from some experiences. And also the success that, that had been reached um, by some of the coastal First Nations that, have come, that had come together to, to negotiate a, an agreement with, with Canada on some of the same subject matter that, that we're looking at. And so we felt we, like we had some, some wind, wind behind us to, to move forward collectively into this negotiations. And so the negotiations uh, are, are unique. Um, there's strength in numbers and there's power behind these, these nations that have been so integrally, integrally involved in, in fisheries for, for so long. Um, just briefly, I think it's important for folks to know that the negotiations and fisheries have four main pillars to them. One is commercial opportunities, increasing the nation's access to, uh, to fisheries across species. And we'll talk about why that diverse, diversification is really important, but, but increasing the access that is already there to, to fisheries. Number two, in aquaculture, um, and and obviously the the these nations' territories being a hub for aquaculture opportunities, we see some openings uh, to affect some change in the way that aquaculture is done to increase value to the nations. Processing and marketing, making sure that we have the full spectrum of business opportunities as they relate to fisheries for the nations as part of this agreement. And then collaborative decision-making, collaborative governance or shared decision-making, really an integral part of what we're negotiating as we, as we take the, the reconciliation space and regain the rightful space as decision-makers. So that's the, the, the basis of our negotiations and look forward to chatting a little bit more about why those four aspects are, are really important to the nation. Thanks, Chiefs. Yeah, thanks for that, Bram, as far as covering the, the pillars and, and the areas of focus. So it's all very important and they're obviously interconnected. And I find it really interesting, the prospect of the commercial opportunities that we're pursuing. You know, I like the way that we are looking to build a viable fleet for all of our nation's members by including opportunities to purchase uh, licenses for various species that make sense within current market trends that look forward into emerging markets and are put together in a way that make a, you know, a, a viable fishing vessel. Right. Uh, the remaining fishermen that we have nowadays have had to adapt to participation in other fisheries seasonally to make it uh, a worthwhile and a profitable endeavor to cover expenses of boat maintenance, to have a, a living wage of your crew members. Um, the days of being able to rely upon salmon seining and herring seining are gone. So I do really like how that within this model that we have and the proposal that's coming is built around having a viable fleet with participation in multiple fisheries with a similar vessel, uh, with different gear types, same fishermen. That way our members can earn a meaningful uh, living and livelihood out of fisheries. So, and this in turn will encourage the next generation to enter the industry. Um, I don't want to go on too much about it, but it's, it's really personal for me. Whereas, you know, growing up on commercial seine boats my whole life, like so many of our members have, 
that's all I ever wanted to be and, and do was really discouraged from that. And when you look at the impacts of it, I'm really thankful that we have a strong basis of young fishermen participating in various fisheries on the coast, because without it, we wouldn't be able to provide uh, food, social and ceremonial to our communities, which translates into so many other areas of just gathering together to gather, to process things, smoking fish. And without the input of having seafood resources, some of those things start to disappear. And that's where, that's where it's really concerning of, of what the future would be as, uh, you know, seafood is such a key component to our, our culture and our identity. Yeah, no, those are really good, uh, good points, Chris. Um, you know, you, you touched on, you know, you wanted to be on a boat and I, and I felt the same way. Like it was just in our, in our blood, right. We come from fishing families. Um, you know, our fathers, our grandfathers, um, we, we, that's something we've always been handed down and, you know, not that we took it for granted, maybe but it's definitely, I, I think we have a good chance to rebuild if we are able to obtain the, the goals here. Um, obviously salmon is a, is a big, uh, issue. I mean, we all rely on salmon these days and, you know, with the, with the rivers systems, not returning as good. And I mean, it's not just here. I mean, we're looking at Alaska, same thing. Like where there's a big trend. I mean, the West coast of Vancouver Island, the East coast, like, I mean, there's lots of reasons why we're not getting salmon back. I mean, hopefully we can rebuild soon. Um, that would be a great thing, but yeah, you talk about diversification and that's definitely something that is key to making this um, opportunity work. I mean, like you mentioned, herring seining and salmon seining is what most of our fishermen made our, our yearly income on. Like we didn't have to rely on working year round, but now it's, we have to get every little piece we can just to make the viable living that you mentioned. Um, definitely training opportunities. Our, our youth is a, is another program. I know throughout the gay, we've been doing mentoring in the last maybe five years. And I've definitely seen a turn a bit here. There's definitely some younger fishermen coming up and hopefully we can find some more in the future because as we lose our elders who are no longer running boats, passing that knowledge on is going to be key. I mean, I think Stephen's been in, in fishing is like quite a while in his life. And, you know, it's, I see struggles in his community of not having fishermen carrying on that legacy. You know, I, I agree uh, with those points and, uh, this table creates far more opportunities than we have seen in the past as one of the pillars and as part of diversification, shellfish manufacturing also creates opportunities for our nations, even small nations like Quaka, to be part of an econo ec economic growth that we may otherwise have access to. This is really important for all of our nations. Hey, Brad, maybe you can talk about the... Uh vertical integration and the third pillar, uh, processing and marketing? Sure. I think it's important for um, to, to talk a little bit about, about how all the pillars are interconnected. And I think Chief Chris talked about this off, off the start. And when the chiefs were visioning this process and, and the chiefs were visioning a model for ec economic reconciliation, that point came forward really clearly that you can't have one of the pillars um, without the rest and how they're all connected. And I think for the leadership, it wasn't enough to say, okay, we want more access to licenses 
or to quota. It wasn't enough to say we want to be involved in aquaculture. It wasn't enough to say we want more of a say in how our resources are governed. It was it was a full spectrum and a full picture. And the the pillar around vertical integration, processing, and marketing was was very important because the vision of the chiefs around economic reconciliation for the communities was to have a fully rounded, fully formed, full spectrum of business as it related to fisheries, both in terms of controlling the fisheries economy in the territory, but also giving more opportunity for members in terms of how they'd like to participate in the fisheries economy going forward. And maybe some folks wanna be out on the boats, maybe some folks wanna be more involved on the other end in terms of a processing and marketing and creating unique products that are born out of the territory and born out of this, um, the nation's work together. So, um, so I think it's, it's important that we look at, that we, that, we, that we consider the pillars together. And that's what we've been saying to, to Canada and to DFO in the negotiations, that, that for this to work and for this to be implemented, it requires each of the four pillars to be supported by Canada. And I think processing and marketing is a, is a unique one and an important one one that would enable us to build on existing capacity, but also build interest potentially in community, uh, in communities around involvement going forward. And I know Chief Stephen, you might want to speak a little bit more about this point. I too am excited about exploring all those opportunities within the different uh, pillars that we'll be negotiating with, uh, with uh, Canada. For a nation like Quaker, uh, where we no longer have fishermen that are currently involved in the, in the industry, at, at one time, anyone that wanted to have an opportunity for, within Quaker had those opportunities to be involved. Uh, I know myself, uh, you know, I fished for over 25, 25 years and having access to, uh, to our resources was, I don't want to say it was uh, take it for granted, but, you know, that, that opportunity was always there for us. And, uh, and knowing that there will be opportunities to participate in the industry, not only harvesting, but processing and marketing is exciting. Uh, vertical integration opens a door for our citizens to be involved in the fishing industry in so many ways. Uh, we need people doing everything from working the front lines on the boats to processing in the plants to doing the business and marketing. You know, those types of skills and, and uh, experiences and education that our people are going to need in the future, you know, excites me. And uh, I look forward to that. If I could just you know, add a little bit to that. Um, with respect to vertical integration in the supply chain, you now that sounds like a really technical uh, economist type of a phrase, right? What to me that means is it's a modern day translation of a core value set that we have as Lakota people as in all Indigenous people, of maximizing the value of a resource, of not wasting, of respecting the creator's creations. It may seem a stretch to some people, but when we have a, a resource as precious as, we'll say, salmon, then it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we are respecting that creation as a part of us, of who we are, of our identity, to make sure that it creates the maximum benefit that it can for our people. So that's, I always just like to draw that con connection as to what it means for us to get pieces of the pie all along the way and all the different opportunities. I think it, I want to echo what you said. It may not be cut out for, um, for everyone to be working on the water and to be fishermen. 
nowadays it's uh, things change. So people might be more suited to careers in, in processing and transportation. And this also goes into, it's not so much in vertical integration of a supply chain, uh, but other opportunities within resource management. So I want to talk about the fourth pillar of shared decision-making because without a healthy and vibrant marine ecosystem, none of this can succeed or none of it makes sense. And in keeping with the employment and the training opportunities, there's a whole, I don't know what you call it. It's a science and research sector. You know, there's a lot of employment in, in the monitoring, in the studying, in the test fisheries. And for us to play a critical role in that, which will inform how we make a decision on whether a fishery should be open or closed and different gear type modifications. Gone are the days where government and industry make these decisions for us. So with this fourth pillar around a collaborative or co-governance, there's different terminologies for it. But to me, it just means moving towards that piece of the nations having the right to make decisions in our own territories. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree moving forward um, with the marketing and processing, like as we become more diversified, you know, I've been fishing for over 30 years now, um, but I definitely have seen, you know, the, when the big companies were big and to, to where we are with the, you know, the independent companies these days. And I, I believe that going forward, you know, our at like a member nations, um, we can have a decent sized business here, uh, you know, with the access to all the licenses, you know, being able to buy, buy more reinvesting, um, you know, creating jobs, like, like Chris said, you know, some people aren't cut out for the boats. Maybe they're going to be working in the plant, forklift drivers, truck drivers. There's definitely a, a big spinoff to having the marketing side as well. Uh, there's also the, the aquaculture side. I know that, you know, lots of nations these days are shifting into like seaweed harvesting, kelp harvesting. Like those are things that I'd never heard of, you know, for the last 25 years. Like that was not something that was a viable business but now that we see how we've gone kind of eco i mean you look at seaweed and stuff they're, they're making clothing with it like so there's definitely lots of spin-offs to to going that route as well i know it's uh it's easy to to do i think that's something our nations will most likely be looking at down the road but also chris you mentioned the uh, shared decision making and yes i agree as you know we were caretakers and stewards for arguably the marine coast for strong like we've been there for for as long as I can remember our ancestors were key on that and you know we respect the waters and the resources that we live in you know we're trying to do our part to make it manageable um, you know we want to do whatever it is to to keep our next generations viable on the water as well and with our ecosystems and I guess I would just add to that by saying you know this pillar is is so key without it the rest fall apart around restoring the rightful place of the nations as decision makers as you were and i think everyone listening to this podcast will know a piece of the the legacy of of dfo unilateral management or or mismanagement of the resources and the systemic exclusion of the nations from those types of decisions and to an extent that 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 persists today and turning that around and recognizing the nation's role in decision-making as it relates to those resources is integral to any form of new relationship that's being developed 
it's integral to a reconciliation space and it's integral to actually Canada walking the walk. And we know there's a lot of talk around adoption of UNDRIP and what that means for recognizing jurisdiction and recognizing decision-making of nations. And this is an opportunity really for, for Canada and DFO to come to the table in this space and actually recognize what it means for the nation's decision-making to be elevated to the place where it needs to be. And this is our opportunity through this table really to test that through this model of collaborative governance that we're developing. Not only does it restore the leadership to a decision-making place, but it also builds capacity and builds on the existing significant capacity within Atlagay to be informing sound decision-making through Indigenous science, through Western science, and through all the work that's required in order to ensure that those decisions are consistent with, with your values and your vision for the future. So this, this pillar around collaborative governance is, has probably been one of the toughest nuts to crack and one that collectively is, is such an important piece of this model going forward. I agree with you, Bram, you know, there, there are fish, there are waters, and they should be our decisions. Our ancestors looked after these territorial waters for hundreds and hundreds of years. So going forward, we should definitely be having a say these days. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you guys more. And there is a lot of work to do, though. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, I think, as Bram said, it's a it's a, one of the toughest nuts to crack. And by us continuing to to work at it and just start from a place that, that we know that that's our responsibility, that that's our obligation of, of how we utilize and manage our territories. And that starts with bringing forward our laws, our, you know, our values, our teachings of how we interact and re relate with the lands and the waters and the resources, the fish and wildlife within the territory. And within that, that's the basis for, um, that's the foundation of it, of our approach to stewardship. And I'm certainly not an expert in it, but when we take these laws and these principles around for example, respect for creative creations and having balance between, between things. When that's applied to modern Western science, and we are working with highly respected modern scientists, and the filter of who we choose to work with is ones that understand the meaningful contribution that an Indigenous lens adds to it with uh, what they call traditional ecological knowledge or our, our stewardship laws, these obligations then on the end, other end of that will be a much better management practice. And government is going to have to wake up and accept it for what it is. And that's what's going to be driving decisions in our territory. And uh, that's when we'll achieve it. So uh, just to go back to some of the examples of where we're currently at, you know, We Will Come has a, a guardian program. Um, this year we had six members trained and working out in the territory in the marine environment, uh, at Hayden Bay, doing the fish enumeration, doing the habitat restoration. And that's really much the starting place. And there's a lot of potential for growth. We all continue to work with Atlagay Fisheries Society and the capacity that they have. And as this continues to grow, 
then we are going to be taking back that obligation for how our territories are managed. And soon governments won't, won't have much to say about We're just going to have to start to do it. I think part of the shared decision-making also includes rebuilding stocks and marine ecosystems. So bringing together traditional knowledge of our people and, and modern-day science uh, is, is key to doing that. We've done some preliminary studies within within the Phillips estuary. And, uh, you know, once you begin doing those studies, you, 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 you notice that there's much more that's needed because you're... you're you're um, pulling back the, the layers, I guess, of what, what is actually happening to our stocks in, in our areas. So I think to be, to be able to be in the driver's seat, we need to, we need to combine those two, the traditional knowledge and the, the modern day science. You know, we've lost so many of our, our respected uh, elders that understood our resources and and could tell you, you know, what what is going to be happening in in future years when our with our resources. So you know, uh, those types of things uh, we we we've lost. So we need to we need to look for ways to to gain back uh, some of that knowledge. You know what what folks are hearing on this podcast is part of of why this table is is resonating and and why it's so powerful. Because when the leaders speak, they speak. Um, from the heart as, as well as, as, as from the mind and the experience and the fishery and what it means to the nations and what it means to the members comes through so clearly at the table. And it really is going to be our strength as we move this process towards success. And, and I thought I would just pivot quickly because people are probably interested in, in knowing where we're at in this journey to get back, as Chief Stephen says, into the, into the driver's seat. So I'll, I can just give a, a quick, quick update on that because we're we're in in that process and in the depth of it. Much of what you're hearing on this podcast has been put in materials that we've produced and shared with the government of Canada. We have hundred page reports which break down the pillars. We've got detailed proposals on each one of the pillars that demonstrate the vision and how we move from vision to implementation. All of that material has been prepared. Much of it has been done in collaboration with our, with our representatives at, at DFO, who we believe are truly interested in seeing the success. The challenge is moving the proposal up into senior levels of government and particularly into Ottawa where we need cabinet and treasury board to confirm our mandate so that we can move forward to conclude an agreement. And that's really the stage we're at. We have all of the materials prepared to inform what they call call cabinet submissions, which are the materials that go up to cabinet. We're on a timeline. And then of course the election was called and the government entered what was called the caretaker convention where they weren't really allowed to talk to anyone during that period of time leading up to the election. And now we're just back at the table as of last week and we're gonna continue that journey. It's not an easy one. And as you'd expect, our proposal isn't just taken in and checked off, that sounds great. We're pushing the boundaries of really what any, any other nations have achieved. And the mandate that we're seeking is, is different, it's larger, it's more significant, it's more profound than, than what DFO is used to doing, and that's good. 
We need to be pushing the envelope. We need to be changing the way in which this is done, but it takes time. We're looking forward to over this winter, getting a chance to get back in with senior government officials and continue to push the strength of the mandate, both from a negotiating perspective and from a political perspective. And we strongly believe we're gonna be in a position to get into cabinet soon on this proposal and to yield the type of results that our uh, nations and community, uh, community members would expect from this type of negotiation. So we hope to have uh, uh, updates on this uh, as we move forward in the coming months. You guys made some pretty good comments there. Um, I definitely like the, uh, you know, the, the Guardian programs. They're, they're out there, they're boots on the ground and, you know, they're, they're in the territory. I mean, you know, we rely on DFO lots of times before, but I believe going forward, you know, these Guardian programs are really going to, to help monitor activity in our, in our territories. Um, you know, I'm also hopeful that this new minister, you know, seeing that she's from Vancouver, Maybe she will be able to see, you know, the effects on the on the West Coast here. I mean, we've always had seems like Eastern uh, ministers for whatever reason. It's Atlantic Coast always seems to get a lot more uh, funding uh, for rebuilding. I mean, hopefully, you know, we can have something happen here on the West Coast. I mean, you know, she she should be able to see, you know, especially living on the Fraser River, the decline of the Fraser River sockeye. I mean, that's that's one huge thing that you know with that used to be the biggest run and now we're we're barely relying on it every four years so hopefully she can you know put some time into helping rebuild that um you know because everybody relies on on salmon you know we were once a huge industry along this coast i mean not only first nations but non non-natives as well i mean there's there's guiding business it's a big spin-off like everything helps all of us i mean our fse you know that's a big priority that's you know, it's tough that we're having to go buy fish out of Alaska, um, you know, when we should be getting it right here in our, in our front door, basically. Um, you know, I'm optimistic that she will fully engage and help uh, be a huge supporter of this reconciliation agreement that we have going. Um, so, you know, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate to have Steve and Chris here today. I mean, it's tough to get to the chiefs in a room i mean our schedules are so busy so maybe if you guys have a couple of closing comments before we go here i'll start with uh steven this time sure thanks ronnie uh, and thank you for having me uh looking forward to some of the benefits you know even just being out on the water like i mentioned earlier on i was fortunate to be able to be involved in the fishing industry for many years uh, and you know our youth now uh, don't have those. A lot of them don't have those opportunities, whether it's to be out there harvesting or processing. You know, we we, we did it, uh, our FSC fisheries annually uh, on all species. And, uh, you know, we, we gained that knowledge by being able to process and can and, and smoke our fish and our youth. Uh, are, uh, there's a gap where our, our youth are not being able to, to learn that learn those, those skills, you know, that we, we, we learned over time through, through our elders and ancestors. So, you know, those are the types of things I want to, you know, be able to witness in the future where, you know, our youth are, have that knowledge and we don't lose it. So that's key for me uh, to moving forward with this process. So thank you, Ronnie, for inviting me. And uh, thank you, Chris and uh, Brian, for your comments today.
All right, thanks, Stephen. Uh, Chris? Yeah, thank you, Ronnie. And, um, and thank you, Stephen and Graham, for all of your comments on this. In closing, uh, a couple of thoughts to offer would be, you know, you mentioned, Ronnie, about having a new uh, minister named and being from the West Coast, and hopefully that will make a, a difference. We put a lot of work into this so far to get to where we're at, to, to table and ask of government to for them to get a, a mandate confirmed from cabinet or whatever uh, of what we're seeking to do. We haven't received that yet. And so if any of them are listening, it's of utmost importance that this continue to move forward. Hopefully we've been clear that it's not just about giving us money to buy fishing licenses, that we are putting something forward that essentially is asking government to walk the walk of the talk they've been giving around recognition of UNDRIP, of the United Nations Declaration on Indigenous Peoples' Rights, and all of those, the clauses, the articles within there that talk about our rights of uh, decision-making, free prior informed consent, and, and the list goes on. So you've done it once already. We've been uh, working hard at, at doing it, and I, there's, just, there's no time to waste. Uh, I think we're at such a critical moment of what the future holds for us as far as how we reclaim our place as decision makers and controlling our territories. We've had some experiences lately that have, um, I guess, jaded how I feel about government because I was coming at it with a little bit of optimism with a lot of these new uh, declarations and, and new policies like rights recognition policy and treaty negotiations and, and the list goes on. But then you face decisions that uh, you realize are, it's still nothing has changed. We're still in a, in a consultation model and we'll ask the nations what they think, but I'm the fisheries minister, so I'm still gonna do what I think is best for you. And those need to change. I, I encourage the department to have a, a close look at what we're asking for and to realize that it's, um, it's practical and it provides a pathway forward on solutions to, to move towards reconciliation. So thank you very much for the invitation to this. I do appreciate it. And I, this is the first podcast I've ever done. So I'm not too sure how broad the audience is going to be with the, the listeners, but um, hey, I look forward to the feedback. We'll see how it goes. So thanks again for the invitation. Right. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, no, uh, I agree with you. Definitely the, you know, with the minister, you know, we, we need to have her um, being able to, to follow through. Like, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, thanks for your, your comments, but I'm still going to do what I, I want to do because I'm the minister. I mean, that to me doesn't, uh, doesn't work for reconciliation. I mean, you ask us for our input and then the next thing you don't even use it. But Stephen, you also touched on another thing that I think is key in our communities is, you know, as you, you mentioned canning fish and smoking fish. And, you know, I look around even just my reserve alone, uh, the, the, the amount of smokehouses, I think, I believe there's two active in for the two reserves. I mean, that we, that I just remember back in the day, you know, families lined up to, you know, to can fish, like everybody came together. It wasn't just, you know, one family, it was quite a few throughout the reserves. And, you know, those days are, are gone it almost seems and we need to be able to bring that back teach our youth how to to move forward i, I really appreciate alligate i know they do a youth camp in the in the summertime which 
you know, they're teaching them how to uh, cook the fish on the barbecue stick. And, you know, that's one technique, but also I think we need to be able to start supplying them with, you know, enough fish to, to do a batch of canned fish and show, show them, you know, what, what it takes to make, you know, smoking the chum in the, in the fall or, or even sockeye. But those are things that we definitely need to, to bring back um, into our communities. And uh, no, I just really appreciate you guys taking the time again to, to be here, Bram as well. Um, so thanks everybody for listening to the podcast again. Uh, we sure hope you enjoyed it. And if you've not heard our other podcasts, they're also available on Spotify and Anchor. Uh, you can also find them using the word, uh, the search word treaty podcast. And uh, remember, there are all kinds of other ways you can learn more about treaty. We have our regular newsletters that are also posted on the website. You can visit our website, uh, watch our social media posts, attend our monthly uh, Zoom lunch and learns, uh, where you can meet directly with our team. Uh, this is our fourth podcast, and that we hope you find the information informative and useful. And if anyone has any other suggestions for us on other methods of communication, we would love to hear from you. Either you can email us at info at lkts.ca or call the office at 250-287-9460. Once again, hope you found the, today's uh, podcast informative as we continue to keep the Weewakai members informed about our treaty negotiations. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.